This segment brought to you by Trent Cotney. Hashtag support the fighters. TrentCotney.com. We're talking mixed martial arts on the brand new phone booth fighting. My name is Richard Hunter along with Ricky Lundell, head coach to Frank Mir and coach to several UFC stars. Our co-host UFC heavyweight Frank Mir with us as well or he will be momentarily. Todd Price is here as well and uh, we have a special guest in studio as well, Ricky, at the Lundell MMA compound. It's Ophir Ventura. Now, I just know him from uh, rolling around in your spare room, which is weird because uh, uh, the first time it happened, he just attacked me. I didn't even know that it was coming. He, so, little, uh, he gets a little amped up. It's like having a strange he relative. Gets a little amped up. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in his uh, in his his uh, daytime real life professional pursuits, uh, he, he's got a more uh, proper job description than that. So let's explain that, Ophir, before we get into the uh, Nick Diaz uh, five year mega suspension, which is really the big news of uh, the week in mixed martial arts. So kind of explain to everybody what you do. First of all, thank you for having me yes. this morning. Mm hmm. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Get right up on that mic. I'm right up on the mic. Yeah, there you go. In my in my day to day job, I yes. am an attorney. Yeah. So and I and I do represent Frank Mir in some capacity. Yeah. But mostly I focus on the MMA side, the sports agency side. Yeah. I'm very very quiet when it comes to those things. I don't yeah. like to be in the in the limelight. Oh, so perfect for radio then. Yeah, perfect. But yeah. I really wanted to, to be here with you guys because I'm huge fans of the show. Yes. And this topic is is controversial right now so the so, so also it's important jiu-jitsu. he he's does trained jiu-jitsu for a while he's been involved in this mixed martial well, arts for a very long time we, That's we why want we want me. we want yeah we want to explain that comment that richard so, made with us rolling around so, the bedroom yeah so uh, we, we so so we'll fear so for example in a in a legal capacity uh, you would be the guy who would, uh, you know, if I'm Nick Diaz, and by the way, I don't know if anybody noticed this is an oral medium, but because I knew we we're going to be talking about the Nick Diaz suspension, I wore the Nick Diaz formal dress uniform, jeans and a black V T-shirt. Did you guys notice this? This is what Nick Diaz has when he wears when he has a, a I hearing that to go you to. You only wear black. Nick and I have that go. in common. We do that. So anyway, uh, so you would be a guy, for example, that might accompany a fighter like Nick Diaz either to one of those hearings, or in Nick's case, of course, his attorneys now are going to be busy dealing with the appellate process. You might be helping him with that to try to reduce or eliminate a suspension. That's the kind of thing you might do for a fighter in a legal capacity. Or you could. I, well, I definitely could. I don't yeah. think I would. Oh, okay. I, th- I think I'm taking a stance against some of the, the litigious side of not just MMA, but clients in general. Yeah. So, so I'm more of an MMA advisor, I would say. Okay. A counselor. So let's, talk, let's, so let's explain first what happened. I would be the Nick. guy that they would hire before the issues happen okay. to make sure they do everything right. Right. And that's like the pre-fight questionnaire, for example, Richard, which yeah. we'll get into in a little bit. But yes. So let's, like that. So let's explain what happened to Nick Diaz this week, guys. So uh, earlier this week, Nevada State Athletic Commission has their hearing. Uh, Nick Diaz tested positive for marijuana after his uh, fight. And I guess one of the tests before the fight uh, with Anderson Silva, which was at the end of January. And really all the focus up to this point has been on Anderson Silva because he had the positive uh, steroid test. So, In detail, though, about the test, right? Yeah. He passed two of the three tests. Nick. 
Right. Yes. One being USADA, which was anonymous. Right. And an Awada accredited laboratory. Then he fails the one that his name is on mm-hmm. that goes to Quest that the Nevada Athletic Commission is regulating over, who already show that they have, they're, they're not impartial over Nick Diaz. That they yeah. instead own their own statements that his disrespect towards them is upsetting them. He's a known person around. Right. There. So already, that, I mean, his name's on the. Uh, the testing kit itself, and mm-hmm. there was all kinds of uh, discrepancies brought up by his attorney. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, after that test, a couple hours later, he took another WADA, you know, a test through USADA through a WADA credit lab that was anonymous once again, and he passed that test. Yes. So, so he, you know, all of that happened on that uh, the weekend of that fight. Now, like I said, all the focus up to this point has been on Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva's already had his hearing. He's suspended for a year and and fined retroactive to the fight. Uh, so finally, we got uh, Nick Diaz this past uh, this past weekend. Now, Nick, as Frank just uh, alluded to, has been in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission on multiple occasions before, always for positive marijuana tests, but twice in the last less than 10 years, basically. Uh, so he did not testify on his own behalf. The hearing was very long. It went like three, four Which they hours. they kept giving him a hassle for. They didn't like that, but, I mean, that's yeah. completely his right. It not- is. How can would that ever happen in a regular judicial court of law? Would the judge actually show that they have contempt towards the individual for not testifying if on their behalf? If he's pleading the Fifth the, Amendment, the answer is absolutely not. So, mm. what that means, and it's a good point, Frank. You bring up a good point. Look, there's references calling this a kangaroo court, uh, a dork court. If you if you hear Nick Diaz's his, uh, statement after the hearing, but I'm not here to to, to bash the type of court is. But what it is, it's a different evidentiary hearing. Mm-hmm. It is nothing like real court. I mean, three hours isn't enough time to get all the evidence out. Yeah. The way they review the evidence, the way they submit the evidence, notices, expert witnesses. I mean, I can go on and on, Frank, but you make a good point that they don't put someone in contempt. They sat there on the record and said, you basically hurt yourself by not testifying. Mm-hmm. A judge in a judiciary hearing would never, ever make that comment because right. on an appeal, that could be reversed just on appeal alone. Yeah. So we can they get into this. They made several comments that I felt that could completely, like I was shocked. I mean, I mean, I'm, I never went to uh, college to sure. be an attorney, and there were several things that I'm like, wow, I feel mm-hmm. like I could defend Nick in the court of law. I mean, some of the statements they made about how that they felt his personal uh, you know, uh, opinion of them and how he treated them and the respect, I'm like, wait a minute. How does that have to do with anything as far as a governing body, uh, is what mm. the guy's feelings of you are? Especially if he's not, I mean, I understand, look, in, if I go and have a, a court hearing and I act out in court, mm. I could be held in contempt. The judge says, hey, Frank, relax, chill out. But if all of a sudden, you know, just because I don't like the judge or if I find out he's a Republican or Democrat or whatever the case may be and it's a known that I don't like that, the judge can't sit there and talk to me about me not liking him. Mm-hmm. Correct, because what's in front of them is, is the indictment, okay? I mean, re- referencing the term indictment, is what, what is the indictment? The indictment is you tested positive for metabolites, cannabis, right? Right. Simple. That should have been the focus of the hearing. This is your third test. There's two prongs to the hearing that I wanted to discuss. One is, is focus on that, and second, in order to focus on that, were you actually positive? Why were there three inconsistencies? There's not one consistency. There's three inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Like Frank mentioned earlier, there's three, three tests. You pass two, but you fail one. The one you fail is a local lab in, in Las Vegas called mm-hmm. Quest Diagnostics. The other two are a WADA-accredited lab. Mm-hmm. So I think Nick's, Nick Diaz's defense was, was right on point. I think his counsel was, was 
couldn't be any better. <laughs> Which the prosecution actually admitted to saying, your attorney, your representative actually brought up great points, meaning that I think he's right. But since we don't like you, mm. I, I thought that was another thing that went on record. I'm like, did you guys really just say that? Yeah, I'm confused as to why we have uh, this this spot where USADA is passing people and then we have on the other side, Nevada State Athletic Commission running their own tests and not passing people. How are we going to make sure that these two groups start working together better? Well, that, that's a very difficult question, Ricky. First of all, I want to be specific. I think it's WADA. I, I don't, I don't want to confuse USADA and WADA, but right. uh, at the end of the day, those, both those organizations were created to, to enforce um, performance-enhancing drugs testing on all athletes. So uh, well, I mean, not to be conspiracy theorist, but I mean, my thing is that, that, that immediately came to my attention was I'm like, wait a minute. So Nevada fails the guy. He passes the two other uh, uh, anonymous tests. Doesn't Nevada get a piece of his money when he fails a test? He goes yeah, well, to, in this case, he's going to get a hundred. They're going to get one hundred and sixty five thousand dollars. So wouldn't it benefit them that if he didn't pass the test and gets fined? Yeah, where does the money go? Well, That's good, another well, good very, question. Hey, I got a question, question for you, Ophir. Where know, does the listen, money guys, go? Very, very intelligent pa uh, panel here. I wanted to talk about this earlier. I had this in my notes. Ricky, Frank, thanks for bringing this up. The money does not go to the state of Nevada. Nevada does not get more rich or more wealthy with it. They use it for nonprofit purposes. For example, amateur boxing. Okay, it's all funded by the fines. So yes, Nevada benefits as a state, but not for, for organizational and, and nonprofit items, but they don't actually yeah. get the money, right? Who votes on, who like votes a speeding on where ticket. the money goes? It's not, like, it's, like, it's not like a speeding ticket that goes to the county and helps pay for other officers and road improvements. It's not like that. I mean, but they still do benefit in the end. I mean, the, the commission who uh, runs absolutely. athletic boxing, you know, the amateur, is going to benefit. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they can take that money and then put it back into uh, to, to amateur athletics and things like that. But the I think the bigger disconnect is – in, as you guys just talked about, the fact that we now have USADA as a big presence in mixed martial arts vis-a-vis -vis UFC, which right. should be a good thing. But they're going to have to learn to not only work with, but, but coordinate with and be consistent with. Well, I've seen nothing to show signs of that so far. I mean, even me personally, I've yeah. seen that Nevada and USADA are butting heads together. And, you know, you see it. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to click on the uh, Internet and, and mm -hmm. see the different casts going back and forth that they are not trying to cooperate right now. That Nevada is having a hard time with USADA. I'm not seeing it from USADA's side, but mm -hmm. I definitely am seeing it from Nevada's side. The, the problem, the biggest problem, first and foremost for this is that uh, that marijuana is on the banned substance list obviously if you don't have that you don't have the problem that's in front of us but given the fact that it is on the banned substance list at least for now you've got to figure out how to balance penalties with this against penalties for example anabolic steroid use which I don't think anybody's disagreeing should be more extreme. Well, USADA does have a difference between the they, they do. They do. They have a big difference. And yes. and looking at Nick Diaz for a second, he also has a prescription in his own state. Well, so, he does. He's and it's not so actually I illegal out of competition. Yeah. So I it's only illegal in competition. And so and he is legally able to take it with his you know his uh, uh, his marijuana prescription, card, right? whatever you want to yes. call. It. Yeah, his prescription. So here you have a s situation where it's like, well, the metabolites could be in a system just varying degrees. So you have to have a lab that's pretty on about doing it so the two labs that are 
highly accredited are, are saying he's good. The lab that's not, which the guy even himself says that he's not at WADA mm-hmm. standards. And then Nevada goes and says that, well, we can't afford to test everybody to WADA standards. So I'm like, so the substandard test is the one that I'm in trouble for? Coming up next, we'll continue to talk about this. What uh, is ahead of Nick Diaz in terms of the appellate process and how long he is conceivably out? Does this effectively mean the end of his career? And uh, we'll do it next. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here. This segment powered by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, UFC grappling coach to the stars, head coach to some like Frank Mir. He's Ricky Lundell. Frank Mir himself, UFC heavyweight, is uh, over there on the floor. We've got uh, attorney uh, Ophir Ventura in studio with us and Todd Brace joining the discussion. A full panel as we're navigating what, uh, what has happened to the career of Nick Diaz as he is suspended for five years and find a third of his uh, half a million dollar purse by the Nevada State Athletic Commission earlier this week as a result of his positive test, his third positive test for marijuana in their state and when he fought Anderson Silva at the end of January. And uh, we were already talking in the first segment about the fact that, uh, and, and Ophir was was given the legal opinion that uh, there, there, there was a lot of procedural problems with it in terms of the inconsistencies of the test. Diaz passed two tests he was given. He failed a third. Uh, and there's that. Then there's the issue of marijuana itself and whether or not it should be on the performance-enhancing drug list. And we're going to get into that in a second. I just want to say that, you know, I think the, the biggest problem here, you know, Nick Diaz so often is his own worst enemy. I mean, he's kind of, the for, for this type of case, he's never somebody who's been accused of steroids or anything like that. When it comes to marijuana, he's kind of the worst poster boy you could have for this in terms of putting him up in front of an athletic commission and 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 not only not only not speaking but I think Nick is a very socially awkward person and I think it's just as as good of a fighter as he is I think it's it's painful to watch when he's in front of a panel of people whose job it is not to fight for a living but to talk for a living. Absolutely. I and, think he suffers from social anxiety. Yeah, it's, it's rough. I think it's, it's been really one of the, rough. Uh, you know, the Achilles heels yeah. of his uh, career. And the way that I think he copes with that is to not only shut down and, and maybe sort of, uh, you know, act out uh, against them, but also in general. You know, the, these types of situations with Nick Diaz always come with a lot of resentment and, you know, he'll hold a, a, a press gaggle outside the, the, the offices and talk about how all the other fighters in the UFC suck because they don't, they're not real and he's real he and there's all that. He all and, and, and he shouldn't, I'm not saying he should be penalized for that. I'm just saying it never helps him. It's always a, a painful thing to watch. So I think, but I think it it's woven into the tapestry here. Well, and on the flip side too, that's one thing that kind of disappointed me about the Nevada Athletic Commission. Here you have an individual, and I, I, I'm under the impression the commission is here for the betterment of the fighters. That's why they yeah. test us. That's why they. It's so that we, you know, that one fighter's not taking something that's going to hurt yeah. his body, not giving him an unfair advantage to hurt another athlete. I mean, the commission originally is there to protect us. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a manager fighter dispute, the commission's the one that steps in. So the overall, I thought, you know, uh, 
thought of the uh, commission was that we're here to enrich in the fighters' careers and lives and make sure it's sure. safe and healthy. And here's a situation where they didn't take advantage. I mean, so Nick has a hard time. Yes, it's his personality, but I mean, that's just who he is as an individual. Yeah. And I, I thought the commission should have stepped up and been the bigger person mm. and look to assist and help a guy out mm -hmm. and figure out how to put him on the better path than to sit there and just completely uh, demonize the individual and really, I mean, look for a lifetime ban. How is that something over this type of situation really I mean in the spirit of helping out the athlete yeah, how we, could you have qu quantified that to me to sit there and go well this is gonna make him better in the long run if we ban him for life we really? should we should explain that the lifetime ban was actually discussed by yeah. Commissioner Pat Lundvall she was suggesting it and they actually compromised down to uh, the the five-year ban now you know we we are in a in a time in an era where because the UFC has partnered with USADA uh, th there is a massive crackdown going on performance enhancing drugs as there should be so i think it's important to note uh the the backdrop against which we're working with that because it is a time where everybody is wanting to say hey we're going to err on the side of enforcement in terms of performance enhancing drugs i think what this does is this uh gives birth to the conversation should marijuana be considered a performance enhancing drug beyond what happened in that hearing the other day should that have even been a topic and i think that's kind of where we pick up here well here. well i really want to make a comment first of all marijuana and cannabis w there's there's documented evidence and i know frank's going to chime in here when it comes to science but there's documented evidence that there's, there's medical benefits i think by your discussion in the last two minutes, we could tell that Nick suffers from some type of social anxiety or some type of uh, other, other symptoms that require him to smoke marijuana. And I'm not saying that from a, from a drug perspective. I'm saying that strictly from a medical perspective. He has a mar medical marijuana card in his state. Mm -hmm. It's medicine for him. Well, then at that point, I'm so, not arguing that it's a benefit to him. But, I mean, there are certain drugs that are allowed for people that have deficits. For example, like I have ADHD. Yeah, not everyone is so created I get equal. To, right. So I get to take, you know, I, and I have a prescription from my doctor through, you know, through a psychologist for Adderall, right? That's just been my thing for years. That's why I, I barely graduated high school, ADHD. So I have a deficit. Same thing with a person who has asthma. They're allowed to take a bronchial inhaler, right? A beta-2 antagonist. Well, I can't take that because I don't have that. My lungs don't need it. But it would be an advantage athletically if I were to take that. So in a situation like Nick, who suffers from social anxiety, I would argue that then it needs to be put up for uh, you know debate that if he can get it medically approved from his doctor, then why isn't it up for debate for a TUE? Mm, yeah. Just because well, everybody well, is not there. created equal. I mean, you're in a situation where everybody is not exactly the same. And so we kind of have this uh, mentality of abstinence across the board in all of these areas. But your doctor gives you things to make sure that you are equal with other human beings. We know that Nick Diaz, he's had a problem with anxiety. He's not equal with everybody else when it comes to that stuff. He freaks out. He has problems. Is anyone denying that fact in this room? No, no. not at all. No, I so mean, we all know he has a problem. Most people don't want to, to run into Nick in the street if he's not smoking. <laughs> it's a good thing. He might be I mean, quite amped like, up at that yes, point. Like, I mean, he is going to lose his mind. I mean, out there. I've talked to him and I think he's a real cool, laid back guy. Obviously, mm -hmm. I don't represent the man, so I mean, he, you know, much more on a you know uh, eye to eye level. His brother Nate, I think, are great guys. I, I, I like the fact that you know that they stand up for what they believe in and they're consistent compared to other people who are inconsistent 
and only abuse people they think they can get away with. Nick will stand up to anybody for his beliefs. So, I mean, I have a lot of respect for it. Not the way I would go about it, but at the same time, like, again, you know, uh, the guy smoking, it helps him. And, you know, if he gets it medically through a doctor, like, it's like, why are we even, like, uh, what advantage? I mean, I, I'm telling you right now, as a fighter, if you tell me my opponent is going to be smoked out of his mind, before we fight each other, I'll be like, mm-hmm. "Can I chip in and give him another dime?" I, mean, well, yeah. I was reading. I was reading. A, I was reading an article. I'm that sorry, says, dime. I don't understand the reference, Frank. What does that dime mean? What does that mean? I, don't I read it somewhere on the internet. I was oh, trying to sound okay. cool. I was reading an article about about uh, what this actually does for people, and besides the anxiety and improving mood, right? It also decreases inflammation, and obviously, it helps with pain. So. When you're looking at a fighter, you're saying, hey, we don't want you to have an advantage in the fact that you wouldn't have a lot of inflammation in your body and you would uh, be in some kind of pain. I mean, d- don't you see there's a problem in that scenario? Like, yeah, for guys, the, do you so want that's your performance enhancing, though? Yeah. That, that's your performance enhancing because he gets hit in the face. He's not going to feel it. Or all the he's going to feel it. At the end of the day, his back's hurting, his he's legs hurting, his knees hurting. He can't, he can't relax for a minute longer. I think there's a lot of reasons why it should either not be on the banned substance list or should be prioritized way, 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 way lower than things Absolutely. like like, like steroids. I know they want to sit there and argue this because right. it's third count. It's because of his behavior and this and that. But, I mean, still at the same time, we're all sitting here talking about how, I mean, there's other individuals that I know that have failed multiple times for steroids that didn't get a five-year ban. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard, I, I, I mean, uh, Ophir, I got, a, I got a big question for you. Okay. One, what does it take to revamp this list for people? And two, what does it take for Nick Diaz to come out of this situation? Well, the first question is how do you revamp what's banned and what's not? That's a that's a well, every year they Usada reevaluate. Usada does. I don't know about the Nevada because mm-hmm. at the NSAC, uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission just adopted the water rules a few months ago in their hearing. They just adopted it, so that's up to them to change it. They'd have, to, they'd have to be persuaded and convinced that it needs to be changed and be removed off the banned substance list. So here's a, here's a silly question. If they're adopting the WADA rules, why aren't they just adopting the WADA and USADA tests? And they're That's doing what I hear California's doing. California mm-hmm. now that is makes basically... That makes no sense. Their commission has stepped to the side and said, hey, look, as far as our, all our drug testing, we're just going to let USADA completely run that aspect of it. Somebody with 15 years of experience test the Olympic athletes, you know, these guys have access to labs that, you know, that on a high, the highest level, why have, you know, uh, two chiefs, you know, it's like, Hey, we already have a guy that are extremely reputable that know what they're doing. I mean, like I look, I've been being drug tested for 14 years now with the UFC. Now that I got randomly drug tested by USADA, I've never had it to where it was so by like just regimented professional. They showed up mm-hmm. at the gym. They had a whole process. I had to sign. It took 30 minutes of just understanding. Okay, do you understand that what we're doing right now? Do you understand? There is the test was completely unbiased. I mean, no one touched my sample besides me. Uh, there was no arguing that if this isn't if you fail this test, you it's because of you. Was that the blood test. or urine, Frank? That they only did urine, but they can do both at any time. They can do randomly the blood and urine. And for my fight, we did do blood and urine. I did the blood test after. After the fight, so they wouldn't affect my performance in the fight. But I took an USADA test, an athletic commission test, and an USADA uh, blood test. Is there is there an appeal, Ophir? So that was the second part of your question. Uh, you say what's next for what's next for Nick Diaz and for him to get out of this? Well, the situation is you have to go to a, a district court. We've seen it happen with Vanderlei Silva. Vanderlei Silva's attorney was successful in overturning a lifetime ban in district court. Mm-hmm. District court is the next level 
above the athletic commission because you can't appeal within the athletic commission because similar to Tom Brady, what Tom Brady went through with the whole NFL thing, you know, it's, it's too biased. You have to go to a district court who's unbiased and have a fair hearing. And that's what's going to happen. So I believe his counsel will file something in the next two weeks in Nevada State District Court and ask for an overturn turning of the ban, of the five-year suspension, excuse me. So that's what I think is going to happen. So how does, it, how does he do that? The things that Frank and everyone on this panel brought up earlier is why there's inconsistencies with the test, the fairness, the comments the commissioners make on record, all those things will be brought yeah. into play. I can't see this holding up in, in an unbiased... But, but I, I want to break this down, though, for you guys in district court, okay? What's going to happen is, one, they're going to have to attack the inconsistencies in the test because if the district court upholds the positive test, the guidelines in the athletic commission on the website, you can go to uh, boxing.nevada.gov right now, and on the website, there's guidelines. There's Let's do this, Ophir. We're going to need a break. Let's do it when we come right back. Sure, How no about problem. that? You can break that down. More next. We're talking mixed martial arts right here with you. Stay tuned, and uh, we'll pick it right back up. Give us one second. This segment brought to you by Trent Cotney. Hashtag support the fighters. TrentCotney.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Breaking down the Nick Diaz suspension. Five years and a third of his half-million-dollar purses mandated by the Nevada State Athletic Commission earlier this week. I'm Richard Hunter. Ricky Lindell, coach to the UFC Stars, is here, as well as our co-host, UFC heavyweight Frank Mir. Todd Price is here as well. And for another segment, attorney Ophir Ventura, who's sort of helping us navigate the legal waters of what happened for Nick and what is uh, coming up next for him. And that's kind of where we pick up the discussion, right, Ophir? is okay he got the five-year uh suspension he got the fine what do his attorneys do now they file an appeal district court is where it goes next yeah they'll file a claim in district court citing lack of substantial evidence and try to get the suspension overturned mm -hmm. what i was saying a little earlier is the guidelines on the actual nevada state athletic commission website state a third positive test for a banned substance in competition marijuana cannabis is three years Mm. Why did they go with five years? Yeah. But I'm still saying there's not even a positive test because of the inconsistency. So I would still argue that there's no positive test. That's number one. And if there is a positive test, it's three years. And already yeah. even without the commission themselves pretty much said that, you know, because the attorney was attacking, uh, you know, Lucas Middleton was attacking the test itself. And they said, well, you brought up valid points or persuasive points, I think was the word that they brought. Mm -hmm. But that basically the fact that uh, Nick Diaz took the fifth and didn't speak upon his behalf, which was completely within his right, was what damned him. And I still don't understand but that. But isn't that his attorney's job? Is yeah, to speak that's on what his he, behalf? That's what he gets hired for? Talk about showing bias. God, isn't that what well, you pay like, somebody to yeah, come in and do well, like if he, if he That's why I pay you, Ophir. Because he... You know, I don't know. He got sick and he's in the hospital, but there was still the hearing and they couldn't delay right. it any further. The attorney shows up. Am I right or wrong? Absolutely. I mean, right. I, I don't you're know. You're 100% the right, but you have to understand their opinions. Whether we, or sorry, we don't have to understand them. We want to try to rationalize their opinions of the mm -hmm. commissioners, and they're saying we want to hear from our athlete. We govern that athlete. If the commission keeps getting overturned in situations like that, you know, and basically right now in the court of public opinion, the Nevada Athletic Commission is not really reigning really high right now. And they've already been, you know, overturned with the, uh, you know, the Valley or uh, uh, Vandalay Silva 
lifetime ban. This, I mean, you know, I, you know, I don't want to count my eggs before they hatch, but I mean, really, this doesn't look like this is going to uphold in, in, in the next judicial system. Um, and then it gets overturned again. What does that really mean for Athletic Commission for, for Nevada? And, and do you th- what, what do you think is going to be their future as far as if every time they make an opinion, it's almost like they're losing the authority that they're demanding that they're respected. It's like, yeah, but every time you guys are you're making big calls, people are you know are arguing them and then the judges and, and and the real courts i guess are overturning them yeah i think the most damning thing of, of what the athletic commission does is it actually going to hurt the opinion of the athlete that's more that's more effective uh will affect the state of nevada more than anything in my opinion because i think they can be overturned again and again and again and they'll continue to do what they do because they believe they have the power they need to sit down with the attorney general and realize we have to do things the right way. I mean, look, we can mm-hmm. go into the whole Vanderlei Silva thing. He wasn't even licensed when he was being approached for drug testing. All they had to do was license him. They just change a few little words in the guidelines and make things very specific. It should say in black and white, if it's your third test and it's one out of three tests or two out of three tests, you get X amount of suspension. Then there's no, there's no discussion. It's black yeah, and, white and let's, let's also, that's the issue. Let's also look at, you know, I think the, in fairness, the history of the State Athletic Commission and the types of things that they are used to dealing with in the past. All of this high-tech, performance-enhancing stuff is, is fairly new in the grand scheme of things. What they have always had to do is license fighters, both MMA, boxing, things like that. But the majority of what they've dealt with is either in-ring outbursts, somebody bit somebody's ear off, or, uh, you know, the, the Pernell Whitaker, you know, for example, you cocaine bust and you've right. already been adjudicated in court or whatever, and maybe you did a little time, and now it's a matter of if they're going to reinstate your license. So I think that they have not been having to thread a bunch of needles up to this point. I think it's been more, hey, you know, uh, you're you're uh, an offender in front of us. That is not even being debated. We're just deciding whether or not we should license you in this state. I think what's happening is because there's a much uh, more increased responsibility on them now to be looking at nuanced issues like this one, actual performance enhancing stuff. That's why the whole commissioning process to me would need to be uh, reviewed. I, I would, well, yeah, go ahead, I would go agree. Ahead. I just want to make one comment, Richard. I didn't let the viewership know that I represented John Jones in the in the hearing in front of the athletic commission. Yeah. It's my only time and my last time I'll ever represent anybody in front of that commission. But I did that. You say that. It, it obviously, wasn't I say a that. Good I mean that. I promise you. But I want you to understand something. I had that experience, so I didn't let anybody know that. But I want to make a comment here. In that hearing, okay, we decided not to not to file an answer, and we decided to to, to admit fault. Yeah. Thinking that was the best approach for this commission based on their history. At the yeah. end of the day, I feel like we got a worse sentence or punishment than Daniel Cormier did. So I don't want to go into that whole thing. But my point is, is that that's another example of taking the other approach. Say, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, commission. Yes, yes, right. yes. Because that was, our, that was my best advice to my client. Is everything's video evidence. There's no other, that's the video evidence. Can you be lenient? And at the end of the day, they gave us a $50,000 fine and gave Cormier a $9,000 fine mm-hmm. because John Jones is more wealthier based on paper. So that, that's, that's just... Insanity to me. He got punished for success. For for, for success, <laughs> but, but there's no guidelines for anything. Yeah. They, they could have suspended him for two years that day if they were in a good if they were in a bad mood. Yeah. So that's what I want to get to later is, and I know Frank want to make a comment, but about the, the athletic commission power in general, mm-hmm. it's completely discretionary. It's arbitrary. Yeah. Arbitrary mm-hmm. at, at all times. Yeah. Because they have this guideline on the website. Before we went to break, I was telling you we have this website that says guidelines, and in there it says the third test for cannabis will be 36 months. Yeah. So why did they even just use that so they can protect themselves a little bit more? And make sure that, that they're on appeal, that they're actually closer to being held up. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't. They went five years. Or you've mentioned lifetime ban. That's all going to be evidence in the district court stuff. So yeah, it does give off the presence. I mean, as a fighter, I feel like I look at the commission now and go, "Wow." I mean, you guys are a little bit, uh, you know, lack of a better word, power tripping. Because here's a situation where once again I sit there and go, "Hey, look, you know, uh, I'm not a, the most intelligent guy in the room by any stretch, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I'm smart enough to know when I need to use people in the right position. And here you have it where the commission, when especially when it comes to drug testing is nowhere I mean the guy in the quest diagnostics stood up there and told everybody he testified that my lab is not at the abilities of a water lab and then on top of that you know you sit there and the commission goes well we can't always afford to have a water lab so I'm like wait a minute so you have USADA here already why are you going against the grain with them and fighting with them instead of just sitting there going, hey, why don't you deal with all this technical aspect of testing athletes since you guys are on a level above us, admittedly, mm-hmm. better th- than we are, and then we can just sit back and now handle out, handle out the, uh, the, the proceedings as far as punishment and, and carry over on that aspect of it. Okay, when an athlete tests positive, USADA tests them, we can sit there now at our discretion decide what punishment and, and what's going to go on and, and handle it from that point of view instead of trying to step in the role and just be bigger than what you really are. And it's really, that's, I think it's hurting them. If they just were to, you know, to rally up the wagons and stick to what they should be doing. But really, again, like you're saying, that's really not defined. I mean, they don't even follow their own definitions of what we should be doing. A lifetime ban for the third offense because of he, because really he invoked the fifth amendment. That's what I pretty much got out of the whole hearing was that you're difficult to work with this. I'm like, he showed up with his attorney and he pleaded the fifth. I'm like, well, that's legal. Why, why, am I, why is he being punished for not speaking? Which, you know, that his attorney probably told him to do that because Nick Diaz talking on stand probably wasn't going to benefit him in any right, way. Right. Let's be honest. Why would you, just because you want to speak to the athlete? I don't understand this he's mentality. Like, he's so like, I mean, great so wait a minute, so why does he have a phenomenal representative? Too. It wasn't like they just came in there and made excuses. No. It's that he's taking the fifth. Okay. They had a phenomenal yeah, can't, can't you see Nick being like they're like he he has to step up and he knows he's going to be anxious. <laughs> I mean, what's what's he probably going to have well, to do before this the, even this even event? I can understand his attorney <laughs> sat there and goes, "Look, we don't need him to explain himself. Mm-hmm. We're we're going to attack the test itself because that's the inconsistency. Why does Nick need to speak on why? I mean, he's not actually right now. I felt like that the testing procedures what was what was on uh, trial. In my opinion, it's like, well, wait a minute negative test positive test negative test it wasn't like he passed the first two and failed the last one it's like well you must have smoked out between the after the second one or you passed the you failed the first one and passed the next two it's like well you're obviously your levels didn't come down soon enough it's like it was sandwiched in between how did he all of a sudden he passes it he fails it and then passes it. It's like, we don't need Nick to talk. In itself, like this, if we go to court, if this was any kind of other crime, and I committed a crime, and they say, okay, this DNA shows it's not him, this shows it is him, this shows it's not him, and the, the weakest of the three tests is the one that's incriminating my guy, and it's showing bias, and his name was on it, and it's, it wasn't. It's like, well, what judge is going to uphold that? I think that, you know, it's, first of all, if he gets the five years knocked down, I mean, maybe maybe he's lucky and the whole thing gets thrown out. I don't know. But but in reality, there's probably going to be some sort of suspension that goes along with well, it. Well, I think so that like, it has to be removed completely because if they remove the fact that they, they, that test is not going to hold up in, in court, mm-hmm. that test gets thrown out. Well, now there's no positive test. Yeah, if there's no positive test, he has to, it, it has it to be It goes to zero. It's all or nothing. And, it, and yeah. the way that 
the district court will focus on is is there a positive test and all that evidence oh, okay. will come into play again. So yeah. if there's no positive test, there should be no suspension. Now, okay. Now, you Ophir, you've been. worked with them before. How mad will they be, and how gunning will they be if he somehow gets through this? Well, they don't like being wrong. That's for sure. Okay, and they. Frank used the word power tripping. I mean, I, I hate to use that, but it's just they have that power over their athletes. They have it now, and they continue to power trip. So no, this whole situation they're not going to be me. happy when they're overturned. But no, will I mean, they change? Isn't that why we're here today, too, to talk about it? Will they change? Yeah. I don't know. We've, we've been better than the athlete. I, mean, I want to see yeah. a fighter uh, ban and see if it changes it. Not, I shouldn't be calling that out on the show, but like Henry Cejudo just said he's not fighting Nevada ever again. Right. Ronda Rousey came out with a bold statement on So I think if the fires rally behind, Ronda Rousey also said that? No, no. she just, no. She said, she just said that you should never be tested for it, marijuana yeah. because it does not help you. Yeah. So yeah, let's. We've got about thirty but, seconds here, but, 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 but let me let me just uh, pose this question. Are to we the coming panel. back again after this? Or is uh, this well, we are, but Ophir's got to go. Oh, okay. So uh, I will say this though. Uh, let me just pose this question to you guys: If the ban were to to hold up, and if Nick Diaz is thirty six years old before he can take his next fight, and if he takes his next fight when he's thirty six years old and he gets paid a lot of money to do it, is there any question that he tests positive for marijuana after the fight? I don't think there is. <laughs> well, Ophir, thank you for uh, stopping thank by. You I assume me. you've got to go get back to your day job now and uh, make the world a safer place. Is that what you're doing today? That's right. Yes, good, good. Thank okay, someone's got to do that. Ophir Ventura has been our guest. More mixed martial arts talk coming up next. Keep it here. You know this segment powered by Real Water. Get real at drinkrealwater.com. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter. Ricky Lundell is here, coach to the UFC stars, as well as our co-host, UFC heavyweight, Frank Mir. Frank just fought on the UFC 191 card a couple of weeks ago. And joining us on the guest line is another guy who was on that card, came out with a big win. He was on uh, actually right before you, Frank. It's Anthony Rumble Johnson, the Black Zillion Zone. Anthony, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. I'm great, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on the big win over uh, Jimmy Manawa, second round knockout, and uh, obviously uh, that is uh, leading you to even bigger things in the the light heavyweight division. So uh, maybe we can start there with uh, the fight. I know I talked to you in the post-fight press conference about the fact that with the addition of Neil Melanson to the Black Zillions coaching staff, that, that you brought out a, a game plan that night that while the fight did end via knockout, uh, it was really kind of set up with some some grappling that uh, you know we hadn't necessarily seen as much from you in uh, in the last couple of fights. So so tell me about that. Was that just as you had had planned it in terms of uh, leading up to the fight? Well, you know, for, for for me, I really don't come up with the game plan. You know, because once you know people start punching and kicking that dude, game plans kind of go out the door. You know what I mean? You just got to take your chances when you see an opening. And um, you know, with this fight. You know, before the fight, I just drilled a lot of things over and over and over, just, you know, different situations. And, you know, with, with this fight, I saw an opportunity to uh, start trying to do some grappling. So I took my chance and took him down. And I actually had the submission, you know, in place where I wanted it, but the fence was right there. So I couldn't really complete the move that I wanted to do, the head and arm triangle. But, um, you know, I still have a lot of improvement to do. I'm, 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 I'm. Of course, I'm not, you know, black belt level or anything like that. But I'm constantly trying to improve myself so I can get a title one day. You know, Anthony, this is Ricky Lundell. We, uh, we had you over there at the at the Gorman room for a couple minutes. We wish we could have had you in the in the room a little bit longer. I had a question about 
Neil Melanson, um, and you. Is it difficult for uh, you to branch out, branch out, and hit a new coach, develop a relationship with Neil, or was it was it easy? Would did it just uh, click real quick, or did it take some time? It clicked really quick. Um, Neil is a straight shooter. He's a hard worker. He wants to win. His fighting style is exactly what what I love. You know what I mean? So uh, the the mix that I have with my style as far as stand up, the way Henry has uh, trained me, mixed with the way Neil trains me and his mentality when it comes down to MMA, it it works out for me really well. So from day one, me and Neil really clicked right off the bat. And what's the relationship like in the camp now? You got you got Neil Melanson, you got Henry Hooped. How are they together working together? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, they feed off of each other. Um, you know, sometimes whenever you get a new coach, you know, you have to like, it takes a while for everybody to build up a good relationship and things like that. But with all of us, we just click right off the bat. And uh, I haven't been happier. You know, this is the first time I can say I'm truly happy with what I have as far as coaches. You know what I mean? And it's all working out really well for Wow, that's unbelievable, especially because you went on a nine-fight winning streak right before the Daniel Cormier fight. This, to, so to hear that you are 100% content and happy, that's a, that's a scary thing for uh, all the all the opponents in your in your division right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, of course, jujitsu was was not my first love. <laughs> so with Neil, though, man, I don't know. It's hard to explain. He just he just. I, he made me fall in love with grappling. You know, I'm a I'm a wrestler at heart. So, you know, wrestlers we really don't. In my opinion, we don't do. You know, we're not crazy about jujitsu, but you know, with with the catch wrestling, grappling, whatever you want to call it, just Neil style. It just suits me better. It made me realize that you know I was in positions where I could have did more damage or could have set things up. You know, a submission up a different type of way instead of just automatically going to jujitsu, you know, my mindset. I should have stuck with the wrestling mentality and just, you know, used it to my advantage, but I wasn't. I started transitioning over more to, you know, jujitsu instead of just, I should say, wrestling or catch wrestling or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And and how, Anthony, how did you guys, how did all that come together? I mean, I know that uh, you're very close to, to Glenn Robinson, the owner of the Black Zillions. I know he, he made a great offer, got Neil in there and everything and brought him into the fold. But but was that something, did you approach Glenn and say, hey, I, I've got this guy, I want to make him a part of what we're doing? And and, and were, were you the one that was sort of the intermediary to, to get him with Glenn for them to work out the deal and all that? How, how did all that play out and how, how long... Uh, how long was you know did it take to do um I, I don't think it took very long it took maybe a month to get everything going you know completely going um Neil helped me out a little bit for like a week before my fight with Daniel you know in a week you can learn some stuff but you you know it's, it's hit or miss mm-hmm. um but like I said man the bond that we had from the start and the things that he was teaching me just in that week I knew I had to have him, and then once I lost to uh, Daniel, right off right off the bat, man, when I was walking out of the cage and into the back, I started thinking about what I needed to do to get better. Hmm. And uh, Nick was the first person to, to to cross my mind. And the next day, you know, I sat down with Henry and uh, another friend of mine named Bobic, uh, and we were just like, we need we need Neil. 
here now. Well, it's funny because right after that, he came out to Travis Brown out in GFC, and he said, he told me specifically, Anthony, that there's no question in his mind, you could be the champion of the world. You just had to work on your ground game. And then that was right before the Daniel Cormier fight. And so uh, I know he has a tremendous amount of faith in in you and where you're going as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. He believes in me and I believe in him. So, you know, that, that says a lot for you know, a coach and a student, I should say, you know, with with the short amount of time we've been around each other, you know. So um, Neil is just, I think he's the icing on the cake for me, man. He, he, he's just, he's wonderful. And sounds like Henry's really open-minded, huh? Like just the whole team in general, when you said, hey, this is what I need to change, they all embraced it and, and took the proper steps to uh, change your career. Yeah, Henry wants to win. He's he's used to winning. He's not used to losing. You know, he's a great trainer. He wants to win. He wants to be the best, and uh, he wants his guys to be the best. So Henry would definitely listen, you know, and and pick your brain about things like that. He's he's not one of those guys that say, oh, my, my style works. This is what you have to do, or you won't be successful, anything like that. You know, there are coaches that are like that. But Henry's not like that. He does believe in the system, but he'll also listen and, and – you know, try and put everything together the best way possible. Anthony Rumble Johnson is our guest. Anthony, uh, obviously with the big knockout of Jimmy Manuel, you stay right there at the top of, of title contention. And and we're about to have another light heavyweight title match here in just a couple of weeks uh, in October. Daniel Cormier will defend the title against Alexander Gustafsson. Now, you've been in the cage against both these guys. You knocked out Gustafsson. That's what got you your title shot against Cormier. You put on a competitive fight uh, against Cormier that night as well. Uh, certainly, I'm sure you'll you'd like the rematch against uh, Cormier, but depending on how that fight goes, uh, you work your way back to a title shot, and it could be against Gustafsson if he comes out on top in a couple of weeks. So having been in the cage with both those guys, let me get your thoughts on how you see that matchup going down. Do you like Cormier or Gustafsson in that fight? And and having been in the cage with both of them, what particular uh, uh, skill sets do you think uh, play to their advantages that night? Um, I mean, of course, Gus is going to use his range. Yep. Gus has, has, has good hands, but he doesn't, to me, he doesn't have power. You know what I mean? I've been, I, I, it could be different for me because I've been hit by some of the hardest punches ever. Mm-hmm. You know, Alistair has hit me before. Tyrone's like legit guys that can hit and kick and all of that. But, um, I don't know, man. Daniel's, Daniel's on his thing right now. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he like he says, embrace the grind and that's what he does. Um, I think Daniel has the advantage, though. You know, I think he's uh, he's already in Gus's head, and uh, we'll, we'll see. I I, I definitely pick uh, Daniel to win. I will say that. Mm-hmm. I know you told me uh, prior to the uh, UFC 191 fight uh, when we talked at, at media day that you were you were drawing a, an, an analogy to to Robbie Lawler, the UFC's welterweight champ, and saying, "I want to be like Robbie Lawler. I want to fight as often as I can." Uh, working my way back to that title shot, referencing before Lawler uh, eventually held that title. That being said, obviously we just got a couple of weeks before the light heavyweight title is defended again. If the UFC were to call you next week or the week after that and offer you a fight, is is that something you want to entertain or do you want to at least wait until Cormier and Gustafsson fight to see 
uh, number one, what happens? Number two, if the winner comes out healthy, and then if, if they offer you that fight right afterward, are you at least waiting a few weeks to see what happens with that title shot? Um, I guess, man. I don't know. I'm still in the gym. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay in the best shape possible, uh, stay healthy, and you know, you just never know when you'll get that that phone call when you have an opportunity right there in front of you. So uh, I'm just trying to stay ready for whoever and whatever. So, but if if they call me, I definitely say yeah. Okay, and if but if they called you, let's say before that title fight happened, if they had a you know a top five contender or something like that, is that would you even entertain going ahead and booking a fight before you find out uh, what happens with that title shot at the beginning of October? Because I mean, there 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 could be a real scenario where they just go ahead and put you back in with another title shot. I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm just a, I'm a gamer, man. I, I want to fight. I want to you know be the best in the world. You know. These careers in MMA, they don't last long, you know. I mean, yeah. If you look at, you know, paper, people can be in the game for 10 years, but for us it doesn't seem like it's that long. It seems like it's you're in and out before you know it. Anthony Rumble Johnson has been our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Anthony underscore uh, Rumble. And your Instagram's the same, isn't it, Under Anthony underscore Anthony. Rumble? Yep, exactly. Yep. Yep, you can follow him there. Hey, Anthony, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for coming on with us and, and updating us. And uh, if, you, if you'd be willing to, when we get your next fight booked, uh, maybe we give you a call again. Let's get you on and, and talk about what's next for you if you'd be up for doing that. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm always available for you guys. Hit me up anytime. Okay, we appreciate it, Rumble. Thanks for the time, man. All right, thank you. More next. Keep it here. We're talking mixed martial arts. Myself, Richard Hunter, Ricky Lundell, coach to the UFC stars. Todd Price is here as well for this segment. And uh, uh, guys, this uh, coming weekend, we've got uh, a couple of fight cards to talk about. A World Series of Fighting going down uh, Friday with a uh, rematch. They're a lightweight champ, Justin Gagey, putting his title on the line again against uh, challenger Luis Palomino. Maybe more interesting, I think, for the the MMA landscape, though, uh, across the board, top to bottom on any particular card, is going to be Bellator 142 Dynamite. What they're doing uh, Saturday night, and it will air live on Spike TV uh, from San Jose, which is the old uh, Strike Force stomping grounds, I think is very interesting. It's a hybrid card. It's uh, part mixed martial arts, and it's part uh, glory kickboxing. There's going to be a ring and a cage set up on the floor. They're going to be alternating glory kickboxing fights and Bellator MMA fights. And in fact, my understanding is during the prelims, they're going to have them going on simultaneously. So there's, it's going to be like a two-ring circus. Uh, but the, uh, the main attraction on the, the main card, it'll, everything will be capped off with a light heavyweight uh, fight, but a title fight between the champion Liam McGarry and the challenger Tito Ortiz, UFC Hall of Famer. Prior to that, though, it's a four-man light heavyweight tournament. And uh, this has some recognizable names in it. Mr. Wonderful Phil Davis making his Bellator debut after heading over there as a free agent leaving the UFC. He'll be taking on former light heavyweight champion Emmanuel Newton. Uh, that, that's going to be uh, one of the first uh, matchups. Then King Mo is going to be taking on Linton Vassell. 
And then, uh, of course, the two winners of that will face each other in the co-main event of the evening. The winner of that four-man light heavyweight tournament will face the winner of Liam McGarry and Tito Ortiz for a future light heavyweight title fight. So, first of all, uh, and also I should mention uh, Josh the Punk Thompson is making his debut uh, in the Bellator organization on the card as well, the AKA product. So, uh you know, when uh, we, we talk periodically about the, the what Scott Coker's trying to do over there running Bellator, and he's getting creative, he's getting inventive, and he's trying some different things. And this one has my uh, this one has my curiosity. Peaked. I think he's going back to the the old days of Strikeforce when yeah. he first started. He's like, this is what worked for me before. This is what built Strikeforce was doing a combo of kickboxing and mma Mm -hmm. and you know other people have tried to follow suit and they're just not as good at it as he is and he's got the matchups to do it obviously by bringing glory in and having them in the other ring on that during the two ring circus he'll uh i think he's going to succeed in this this event with especially with this light heavyweight tournament i think that's those are four interesting individuals and, you know, I'm really excited to see Phil Davis back in the cage. I'm excited to see Josh Thompson back in the cage. Not excited to see Tito Ortiz in the I'm cage. I'm excited to see Tito Ortiz in, back in the cage. I used to <laughs> actually be a major Tito Ortiz fan when I, yeah, was, when I was young. I used to watch his, his fights, and I, I would really enjoy watching him jump in there and, uh, and ground and pound people out, especially in the, in the Ken Shamrock era when – when those two were going back and forth at it, I yeah. mean, this is a long, this is a long time ago. But I'll tell you, I really did enjoy that because he he was kind of one of those first founders of that ground and pound style, and he yeah. was the first one to really make it work in the light heavyweight er, division. Period. He was the one that that went in there and uh, started setting records for the UFC. And it's sad. A lot of the new fans don't actually, they never got to see Tito during his heyday period when mm-hmm. he was actually one of the better guys during the Chuck, Tito, and uh, 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 Randy Couture yeah. stage, right, where all of that was kind of unfolding there. So him coming in here and fighting fighting for the light heavyweight title, that is going to be... Uh, that is going to be interesting to me. Now, I don't know how, how it's going to turn out, and I don't know if, if at the end we'll just end up with a lot of excuses and crying. and His back, I his mean, neck. That his, kind of stuff wasn't around when, I, when we were younger, Richard, yeah. when we were watching well, this younger. Well, what Bellator is doing, though, is you know, it's a balancing act. It's a, you know, a high-wire balancing act, speaking of a circus metaphor. But, but Scott Coker understands this. You know, he's got – it's like what he did with uh, you know, the, the Ken Shamrock uh, – Kimbo slice fight. I mean, for for people who are really plugged in, people who are really in the know when it comes to MMA, that's not an important fight to make. But it is one that is going to draw viewers. Yeah, and he's the name, doing a good job making yeah. things intriguing. Yes, and at the same time, though, putting on legitimate fights on the same card. I mean, for example, I think Phil Davis, and I, I could be wrong about this, I am looking for Phil Davis's career to be invigorated coming into Bellator. I think this is the perfect scenario for him. You know, he was a guy who was always um, in contention in the UFC's light heavyweight division, never was able to quite pull the trigger on a title shot, never quite got there, but was right there at the top. And, you know, eventually got to a point where he was kind of hitting a little bit of a glass ceiling. I'll bet he can go over there to Bellator and take that title. 
I mean, I think that's what's going to happen. No, without and, a doubt, he's going to go in there, and uh, the only guy in his way is going to be King Mo. I yeah, think. yeah, and you know what? You're going to get a great. Uh, that's the matchup I would assume we're probably going to get is King Mo and uh, Phil Davis. But but uh, in the the finals, you're going to get a great matchup there. And then uh, you know, I, I I could see Phil Davis likely holding that title. But my point being that you know the name Phil Davis, even to uh, to to the casual MMA fan, even though Phil Davis was uh, a big part of the UFC's light heavyweight division for a number of years, a lot of casual fans still don't know that name. And and Scott Coker is smart to introduce him in this way. You're going to see him once, likely twice, uh, in that same night. And then uh, and and then you've got Tito Ortiz at the top of the card, which is the old school name that people know, and you know he can do the press, and you put him on the poster, and they recognize him. So I'm excited for this. I I, I think it's important, as I've said before, that there's always a solid number two. They're not they're 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 no direct threat to the UFC. UFC doesn't have anything to worry about. Yeah, when you know you're not fighting in the UFC anymore, or they don't want to re-sign you or whatever. You can go over there and fight in Bellator, but it is by no means a cast-off organization. It is by no means oh this guy's got nothing left, so he's over there in Bellator. As I said, uh, this may be this may end up being the best years of Phil Davis's career over there. Yeah, I'm interested to see if on this fight card, you know that you're in a tournament setting. Is that going to promote coaches and fighters to slow down their game plan? Or is it going to promote them to try to speed it up and end it really quickly? Because mm-hmm. if you if you don't think that you have the ability to end it quickly, you're going to go in there and you're going to just try to conserve energy and ground it out and just get by with that win. But if you think you can end it quick, you're going to run out there fast in the first round and try to try to finish it. Now, you're not going to see a, a Stefan Bonner versus Forrest Griffin type round in the first round. I don't yeah. think that's a good plan. They want to conserve the energy for later in the in the night. Yeah. I really you know, think this plays into Phil's his his past because he's used to these tournaments. He's used to going through and he's got a 6-minute match, you know, at at the NCAAs right out of the gate. He comes in, he dominates that. Maybe it lasts the whole 6 minutes. So he's used to this tournament format and I think it's going to play to his advantage mm-hmm. and it's going to do bode very well for him. And you know, a guy like Emmanuel Newton like you're talking about Ricky is he might come out and try and just take Phil's head off, and Phil's going to move, he's going to slip, he's going to use some range, and then eventually he's going to put Emmanuel down, hold him down there, and and squeeze him tight and make sure that Emmanuel's not moving, and he gasses himself out, and I think that's going to play to Phil's advantage, and this is where he really dominates. Yeah, what you don't want is you don't want a hard scrap in that first round <laughs> and let the other guy get by with a one-minute win. That's what mm-hmm. you don't want because that, that will heavily – play to your disadvantage in this fight. What do you think about the idea of incorporating the hybrid card glory kickboxing and uh, and MMA? You know, I think I think there's the upside to it is one, you probably don't have to pay the kickboxers that much money. So you're doubling up on on action without having to double your fight card cost. Mm-hmm. Second, whenever there's a lull in action, you're you're upping your chances of there not being a lull in action in the other ring. So if if, mm. if things are moving, you know, and, and one guy's stalling on one side, your fans will just probably look away instead of boo, and then there'll be more cheering and less booing. I think it's a I think it's a pretty good uh, scenario there. I mean, the odds of two fights being really boring at the same time 
aren't very good. So Well, there's also a promotional relationship here, and I, I, I think Spike TV deserves credit here. You know, they were partners with the UFC for so many years, and when the UFC left, Spike TV realized, you know, rather than rent the product, maybe we should own it, you know, and we should own a piece of it. And that's when they, you know, bought a piece of Bellator. Well, they've since brought Glory Kickboxing onto the network as well, and, and as as well as uh, the Friday Night Fights. I mean, what they're basically doing is they're trying, they're making themselves the Friday Night Combat Sports destination. They're saying if it's Friday night, or, or uh, well, Saturday, uh, uh, Saturday night in this case, but uh, you know, we're going to have some type of combat sports for you. And this isn't any just this isn't just any random promotion. This is another promotion that also has a home on Spike TV. So it's very smart that you're showcasing two promotions that uh, are, are both shown on the same network in the same place. I mean, you talk about crossover appeal and introducing new fans to something. There's probably a lot of Bellator fans who, for whatever reason, have never seen Glory Kickboxing. There definitely is. Usually you want to split up these events because cost-wise, it costs a lot of money to do that. I was just pulling up an article where it it talked about how uh, Glory Kickboxing, the promotion's top dog, 205-pound kickboxing convert, uh, Tyrone Spong, was the top earner of the night. And this is... This is uh, 2013, mm-hmm. right at the end of the year, raking in thirty-one thousand dollars. That mm. was his. That mm-hmm. was his top payout for the night. That's their big, big dog. And so when you when you put that into perspective, you say, hey, well, you know, if people are complaining how much the UFC is paying people, like guys, you look over <laughs> yeah. here at Glory Kickboxing. These guys are making hardly anything. You can't even make a living for for a lot of these guys. I don't know how the coaches could coach them. For ten percent of that kind of cost, and Tyrone Spong is, the he's man. good. He is, he is freaking the good. Man. So was you he take not a that K one champ, yeah. Y- at the same yeah, time, he was. So, so you K one champ went to glory. He's you take a champ that in there. perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this works out for the promotion in in the sense that doesn't cost them much to ensure that fans are going to be excited on uh, more excited and and uh, not be stuck in a lulled boring moment ever that's going to be uh this saturday night glory uh kickboxing and bellator partner up bellator 142 dynamite airs on spike tv we'll keep talking mixed martial arts with you coming up next stay here don't go anywhere we'll be right back this segment brought to you by trentcotney.com hashtag support the fighters at trentcotney.com and also real water get real at drinkrealwater.com my co-hosts Ricky Lundell and Frank Mir not with me uh, on this segment because uh, we got a guest we had to clear some room for. Uh, a lot of times, th- th- this is a guy. Sometimes he doesn't even need one host uh, handling the interview. He can do all the heavy lifting by himself. He is in town uh, here in Las Vegas this weekend. Three big shows at South Point Casino: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's Joey Coco Diaz. Joey, how you doing, man? Good to talk to you again. What's up, buddy? How are you? You, man thanks for having me on my brother absolutely we're all excited to have you on we're all uh big fans of stand-up comedy and yours uh, in particular and you'll be at south point uh this weekend but first of all every time you, you know you're one of these guys that uh, uh obviously you're well known in the stand-up world but uh, i know you're a big uh, mma fan i know you're plugged in with everything going on in uh ufc you keep an eye on that and everything so uh, when you come to Vegas, I mean that that that's got to be uh, that's got to be an added bonus, especially if there's fights going on and stuff, right? Always, always, and just you know, you bump into some of the fighters, they have different training camps, and you go and talk to guys. You know, I'm tight with Mike Dolce. 
I like a lot of the guys. I'm a big fan, like you said. So, uh, you know, I keep up with it. I, I started training jiu-jitsu about two years ago. I'm terrible, <laughs> but I still go as much as I can. You know, like I've already gone twice this week. Uh, I'm a fan. You know, I, when I came from Cuba, I was here as Bruce Lee was blowing up. So I saw the whole evolution and it kind of made me like a martial artist in a way. And, you know, look what it's evolved from karate. Now it's MMA. It's, you know, nine different disciplines. So yeah, man, I'm so, really excited when I go to Vegas, you know? So I'm glad you brought up your, your jujitsu training because I am a faithful listener to the church of what's happening now, which is your podcast. Everybody can check that out uh, on iTunes and all over the internet. And you did a podcast this week. You and I, you you don't know, we have this in common. Uh, I, I, I do some stand-up as well, but I also train jujitsu. You and I have been training just about the same amount of time. I didn't realize you'd been training. And when I heard that podcast this week, it was so motivational because you said something that it's like I've been telling people this same thing. I mean, being like a couple of years into it, I thought I was the only person that had noticed a connection between uh, uh, doing uh, jujitsu and how that can improve your discipline and your creativity and writing for stand-up. And when you started talking about all that this week, it's like you were speaking to me. And I, I want to ask you about that because a lot of people wouldn't think there would be anything in common between the worlds of, of jujitsu and, and stand-up comedy, but, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're saying it's made you a better stand-up comedian. Listen, man, it made me pay attention to the finer details, which is what jiu-jitsu is. Jiu-jitsu is an art that a smaller guy could lunge a guy like me across the room. Yes. And it's all done by technique, leverage, you know, you got to hip escape and move your leg first. So all those things, you know, make you technical now in my situation. When I walked into a jiu-jitsu studio, I was 336 pounds. So after two hip escapes, I thought the world was ending. <laughs> I, I was not going to go back. Yeah. But because of my comedy training, knowing that you're going to suck at anything when you go the first couple times. And then you come to the realization that it's going to take you years to be good at something. And now that changes up the game. So now you have an option whether to quit or keep going. Isn't that, isn't that the way, Joey? I mean, that's that that's so right that, you know, like you said, with stand-up and, and jiu-jitsu the same way, it's like you got to know that, that for the foreseeable future when you start, you're going in there to get beat up, whether it's 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 physically with jiu-jitsu or, or, I guess, mentally with uh, with stand-up, that, that it's going to be a while and you, you've got to persevere through that and all of a sudden one day things start clicking, right? You know, I know that to get good at comedy, I knew this from comedy, that you got to put yourself into awkward positions. And when you first start comedy, you're in an awkward position anyway. Yeah. And so now, like when I go to jiu-jitsu now, I'm smart enough that no matter who I'm rolling with, I pull guard. Because I'm 300 pounds. I could get on you and crush you. There's no creativity to that. Mm -hmm. The creativity is me getting on my back and getting out of that situation. Yeah, yeah. So, it's so, you know, uh, working on your back is like sitting down and writing in comedy. There's only one way to get good at it. It's just to do it. Yeah. There's no video. There's nothing that can help you to get good at jiu-jitsu, especially on your back, unless to put yourself in that position constantly, constantly. 
Now you're you're probably you're probably like me, Joey, in the sense that uh, you know it, it probably helped that you had some good contacts already in uh, in the world of MMA and guys that could help you out with training and everything. You being out there in LA, uh, do you have one place in particular you're you're training with uh, regularly, or you bounce around a bit? Wednesdays I go to Higo Machado's. Yep. Uh, in Beverly Hills, so there I can't go because I have a meeting up here. And then Mondays, I either go to BJJ Breakdown, but my main home is BMAC okay. in the Valley, in North Hollywood. That's where I started. Again, I'm very good friends with Eddie Bravo, so I'm always calling him for little tips. Yeah. But I never felt that I was good enough to go down to 10th Planet in LA and embarrass him. <laughs> I didn't want to put like, and he's like, no, oh, you're not embarrassing me. But in my head, I'm embarrassing him. Yeah. So I wanted to get ready before I went to 10th Planet. Uh, you know, again, I, I seek advice from Matt Sarah, and they all said the same thing. You know, learn the gi and then go to no gi. Yeah. You know, so that's what I'm doing. I really, and, and now when I watch uh, UFC or, or Bellator or whatever I'm watching, it makes me appreciate what they're doing a lot more. It makes me, it, it makes me uh, be more conscious before I said that fight's up. Because that fight didn't suck. Those are two guys that got in there with their heart beating, their hearts pounding, and now I know the danger they're in, you know? So mm -hmm. it makes the fights more enjoyable. Well, let me see if I can draw another analogy there between stand-up and, and jiu-jitsu, because I, I think you're right, Joey, that, you know, certainly training jiu-jitsu has made me a better observer of jiu-jitsu, and even just being able to talk about it on the radio, you know, some of the guys will uh, uh, tease me a bit, because uh, a lot of guys in the media, in the MMA media, don't necessarily train, you know, and I always tell them, I'm like, I'm the weakest guy in the room, but on media row, I'm Hicks and Gracie. You know, uh, just by by getting in there and doing something, but but I am the same way with stand up, where it's like I'll look, I'll watch a comedian a couple of nights in a row, and you can see just how they move a few words around, and it'll change the whole equation of their set. And I find jujitsu is like that too, and its subtleties. You know, a lot of times if you don't watch a guy repeatedly. You don't know that he's doing that, but with a stand-up, you'll see him just shift, a, just slight wordplay, just shift a few words around, and that can be the entire difference in whether or not a, a joke uh, kills or, or bombs, don't you think? You know, it's like the, this week we reviewed Neon Belly, mm -hmm. and the choke from there, just dropping your elbow choke, and I had been doing that for months, but the guy told me, he goes, you're not punching the floor. You're grabbing the collar and you're choking them. If you punch the floor and choke, it'll it'll tap them immediately. You know those are the those are the adjustments you're talking about in comedy. Just that one adjustment. You want to train me today? Well, give me a card. I'm right here with my man Fabiano. He's a, a great UFC fighter. He just walked up on me. Here's my wife Terry. Yeah, let me know. I'm not going to go to Higgins today. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Like, I'm sitting here. Now, this Fabiano is a true champion. He has no reason to talk to me because I'm just a fat little jiu-jitsu guy. But he's seen me at Higgins, and I love it. So I'm going to keep going until you kill me or I get a heart attack. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what you, that's, uh, that's you got to do. 
What about, Joey, let me ask you about uh, the podcast, The Church of What's Happening Now, because you've had a lot of success with this thing. You've been doing it for a while. And, you know, it's one of the great uh, elements of the evolution of technology, I think, for stand-up comedians. Uh, Some are better suited to it than others, but I think your style, man, your storytelling style is just perfect for for podcasting. Did you know that that was going to be a medium that was going to click for you right away, or is it something you, you know, you kind of accidentally got into or you had to be talked into before you really knew, you know, how how, uh, far-reaching it could be? I always knew that if I got to tell my story, it would make a difference in my stand-up. There used to be a fighter in the UFC called uh, Houston Alexander. Do you remember? Sure, yeah. Big, scary black guy out of Nebraska. Yep. If you saw Houston Alexander with his packs and his muscles, you said, there's trouble. They did a thing about him on the UFC, like one of those things. The guy had four kids. No wife. He was a UPS driver. Mm Mm-hmm. He got up at four in the morning and he trained till six. Then he'd go home and feed his kids and send them off to school. Then he'd pick them up, feed them, do all that stuff. And at the end of the day, at eight o'clock, he'd go back to the gym for two hours. And he'd train again. That makes you fall in love with the guy. Yeah. He was a single dad. But from looking at him, he's a, he's a big black scary guy with tattoos. Mm-hmm. But once you find out about him, when I saw him, I went up to him and went out of my way to shake his hand. Even though I don't like bothering people, I went up to him and shook his hand. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I could get that element out of my life, I knew that my stand-up would it would help me. Yeah, it gives context to it, you know? And I, I think then when people come see you, like these three shows this weekend at South Point Casino, I mean, you're you're a funny guy if nobody's ever laid eyes on you or heard you to begin with, but I think if you've got that context uh, much like kind of that jujitsu analogy we were making, it makes you appreciate the nuances. Maybe you hear more uh, of the subtleties that you, you wouldn't have noticed otherwise if you didn't have as much of a backstory on the person, you think? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. You know, I'm very lucky. I've been doing this for 24 years. I didn't become a headliner. You know, I know that uh, I didn't become a headliner for like maybe four years ago. Even yeah. though I was a funny comic, I finally put the nuts and bolts together, you know, uh, and this podcast gave me a life. Uh, Joey, uh, awesome to talk to you, man, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you this Friday, okay, buddy? I did my best to Frank and the manager tell him I'll see you next time. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with Chinatown.